Hi, Mama. Welcome to part four of Restoration Theory. I hope you have been loving it as much as I love this theory. I did not create it so I can talk it up all I want. It is amazing. It was created by Dr. Terry Hargrave, one of my professors at Fuller Seminary, and I'm just obsessed with it. And I think uh, a lot of you that I've heard are are obsessed as well. So I'm glad that you've been loving it. Today, we're going to start putting some of these pieces together. I've kind of you know, cut these down into really short segments. And so we're going to kind of take each of these elements that I've been talking about, put them together into this incredible tool that you can actually use and just understand life and yourself and people better because of it. And I'm really excited to show you this today. So make sure you've downloaded all of the elements you need so that you can just complete this tool and really have something tangible to use for yourself. And also make sure you're getting into the Facebook group. We're going to do some live demonstrations there. I'm going to show you what this looks like on paper because visually it is so helpful. It is really just one of the biggest things that has changed my life, just helping understand my patterns, why I'm doing things again and again. And I just know your life is going to be changed because of it too. So make sure you have everything you need and I'm going to show this to you. So let's go. Welcome to the Morning Mama podcast, where it is time to wake up to the life you were created for. Come join me on a journey to heal from your past, craft a healthy, joy-filled life, and discover the gifts and passions inside of you that the world needs. Hi, I'm Brittany, a former marriage and family therapist who is ready to help you grab hold of your courage, step out in faith, and discover that your life can become more than you ever dreamed possible. This is Morning Mama, a place for you to throw off all that has been holding you back and run into true freedom. All right, so let's jump in. Again, I am pulling from restoration theory. I've gone through all of these amazing trainings. I've read books. I have had so much exposure to this. I'm also pulling from Relate Strong, which is like the church group version of restoration theory. So instead of being for therapists, it's for kind of anyone to to lead a group with. And so I'm pulling from that material as well. It's kind of like a simplified version of restoration theory. And this was created by Sharon Hargrave. Amazing people. Amazing theory. You've probably heard me say that a hundred times now, but it's just so good. But make sure you pop down into the show notes check out some of the resources that are available so you can dig deeper into this. Obviously, a podcast is not going to give you the full breadth of what is available on this topic. And I am just relaying this from what I have learned. But if you can go to the source and get training on this, if you are a therapist, I cannot recommend these trainings more. They have changed my life. And when I was practicing as a therapist, I could not even tell you how equipped I felt going out into the world. And I just really felt like I was helping at a bigger capacity and I was not getting lost and I had amazing tools. And so really, really, if you're a therapist, please, please go and get these trainings. But I'm going to give you an overview so that you can just begin seeing how this works, getting some ideas and beginning to use this in your life. So just a brief review, we have three things that we usually feel. These wounds were created in our childhood, and 
generally they are true across time. So you can look back at when you were two and those wounds and that pain feeling is going to be pretty much the same as yesterday for the most part. And then we have three ways that we normally cope. This looks a little bit different in each circumstance, but there are generally these overarching themes of what it looks like for how we cope with this pain. Remember, our brains cannot distinguish between emotional pain or physical pain. And so when we experience that emotional pain, our brains go into fight or flight and start acting in a way to get us through something, which is not always the most productive for building a healthy relationship. So these these ways are destructive ways that we cope with the pain that we're feeling. And then when we do this destructive coping and we act in this unhealthy way, most of the time it's going to trigger someone else's pain response. And just like us, their emotional pain is going to get triggered. Most likely they're going to move into their destructive coping. And when they move into their destructive coping, it's going to re-trigger our pain, right? Because destructive coping is going to lead to pain. So this just reinforces our pain, almost like proves to us, see, see what I was feeling was real and puts us back in that cycle of responding from this place of pain. So this is what is called our pain cycle. So I want you to imagine it on a sheet of paper. You can write it out. Highly recommend writing it out. I'm going to do a demonstration in the Facebook group so you can really see what I'm talking about. But, you know, first you have your three core feelings. So you can write down, I feel, and then write down those three core feelings. So for me, it's anger, out of control, and inadequate. And so I have this first bubble, I feel, and I have those things there. Now, there's an arrow that goes to the next spot, and that is where the destructive coping goes. So then you write down, I cope, and you write down your three core ways that you respond to those to pain. So mine are get angry, control, and escape. Now you're going to draw another arrow. So it's like a three, three part system here. Draw another arrow. And this is the category of how other people respond to your destructive coping. And I'm always labeling it as destructive coping because I know there's a big movement about coping skills. And so I just want to differentiate that we're not talking about healthy coping skills to get you through emotional dysregulation. We're talking about destructive ways that we cope, that our brain is in pain. Our brain doesn't like it. And so it's trying to get out of that pain the only way it knows how. And so it chooses this destructive coping. So from that coping, we go to this third bubble, which is how other people respond respond to our coping. So I want you to think about whatever it is that you do when you are in pain. If you've already listed those out, look at those words. Look at those those actions. What is it that you do? Pick one of them and think about how do other people usually respond when you're acting that way? So for me, like the the clearest one, you know, is my anger. When I get angry, let's go to my husband, for example. When I get angry, most of the time he withdraws. Now, some people will have people that also get angry back at them. Or 
Some people will have someone that escapes or maybe they get down on themselves or they get down on you. You know, There's a lot of different ways that people are going to respond, but I want you to think about some of those situations when you have gotten angry. What does that look like? What does the other person do? And when you look at that, my guess is that most of the time you're going to find that when you act from that place of pain, the other person is also going to act from their place of pain. So when I get angry, my husband, is his pain is triggered and he goes into his destructive coping, which with anger, his is to withdraw. And so I would write that down in that category. So list some of the ways that people respond when you are in your destructive coping. You can go through each one of the three ways that you cope and write down some of the responses. This can be longer than three. People can cope in a lot of different ways, especially if you're thinking of multiple people. If it's helpful, you can just think of your spouse or, you know, someone close to you. How do they respond to your destructive coping? Okay. And then once you have that, we're going to draw one last arrow. Now this arrow goes right back. It goes from how other people respond and it goes right back to the top of I feel. This has created a circle. And why that arrow goes there is because when the other person acts in their destructive coping, so going to my example, my husband withdraws. When my husband withdraws, most of the time, it's going to trigger me feeling alone. And when I feel alone, look, we're going through our arrows. I'm going to go straight down into more of my destructive coping. So this is why it's called a pain cycle. It perpetuates itself. It just keeps going and going because pain acting out of that is only going to cause more pain. You've probably heard hurt people hurt people. This is it. This is a picture of how that happens, what that looks like. And the reason that we can even track this, and it's it's as simple as this, is because, again, we, I think we talked about our brains are lazy. Our brains like the path of least resistance. And so our brains form these neural pathways from when we were kids and we experienced that pain and our brain went into fight or flight mode and formed how we were going to cope with that. And then since then, we have done it again and again and again and again and again, and you get the picture. And the more times we do it, it reinforces that neural pathway in our brains. A really great example is like a forest, right? You, there is like this thick forest, but there's a trail that's cut through it. And so the path that you have right now with your pain cycle, that trail is well worn. It is clear. There is no branches in the way. The dirt is, is up. You can see the dirt instead of the grass or the, the weeds because you have walked down this road many times. It has been cleared. The path is clear. And so your brain loves that. It's a clear path brain does not want to work extra hard to do things. And so the brain so quickly jumps to this path because you have reinforced it throughout the span of your life. But the good news is that your brain is plastic. This means it's malleable. This means it's changeable. It does not have to stay this way, just like a forest. You can always create a new path through a forest. It's not going to be easy. (laughs) It's going to take a lot of repetition, a lot of time. The first time you go through, you're going to have to take one of those (laughs) schwackers. That's not the right word. One of those like big things they take to the jungle. And you're going to have to chop 
some major branches down. It is going to take muscle and sweat. It's not going to be easy. But if you keep doing that, every day, multiple times a day, you go back and forth on this path, it's going to form a new path. And before you know it, that other path, especially as you, you frequent it less, it's going to become overgrown. You know, it's not going to be as clear. There's going to get some weeds on there. Maybe a tree, a, a, a seed falls on the path and a tree grows right in the middle of the path. So this is kind of how your brain works. As you reinforce a new pathway, it's going to get easier and easier to make that choice. And I I do want to stop and make sure you understand just because it's your brain that leads you to this destructive coping, it doesn't mean that you're not responsible for it. We are in control of how we feel and what we do with that, regardless of what we have been through, regardless of what it looks like. Now, God is not a God of shame, but we are responsible. He puts that choice in our hands. We have that free will. Someone that has been through a lot and hasn't learned how to make those healthy choices, it's going to be a lot harder, but they're still responsible. We still have that choice, which brings me to another point that we're going to go into more in a couple episodes. Even though that person's destructive coping is triggering us, it does not mean that they are responsible for how we feel or how we act. That is on us. We have free will. We get to make that choice. And so it has to be our will that is choosing this new path. It is not easy. I've been working through this for probably almost a decade now, and it has for sure gotten easier. But especially in those beginning stages, you have to fight it. You can you can literally feel your brain and body and spirit just resisting against it. And it is it is hard. But I'm going to give you a specific tool in a couple episodes so that you can begin forming that new pathway. There's some simple steps I want to teach you so that you can actually start forming that path. And I do want to encourage you with the power of the Holy Spirit, this is doable. I, I know I have worked in my own vein at this, and it has been hard work and excruciating, and I have made progress, and I know God has been with me, and that's only through God's power I've even been able to choose that. And then I've also like I've shared, had these supernatural moments of breakthrough. And I swear it's almost like God just takes a lawnmower to this path. You know, I've been trying to get through it every day, trying to make this new path. And, you know, I'm making a little bit of progress and I'm working hard and I'm looking to him for my strength. And then sometimes he just, he knows those moments when we need that little extra push, that little bit of the path cleared. And when we're leaning into him and seeking him, this happens in a moment and he takes his lawnmower. I don't know if that would work in the jungle, but some larger form of that, maybe it's like a bulldozer kind of situation. And he takes that little path we've been trying to create and makes it so much bigger and broader. And so I want to encourage you with both. One, Yes, making different choices again and again is going to begin clearing that path, but you're not doing it alone. You have the Holy Spirit. You have God's power with you. And God knows when you need that bulldozer to come through and support the work that you have been choosing, and he helps make that path clear. Now, 
it's still a choice after that. Like I've talked about how my anger, I have found so much freedom from it. And that freedom kind of like, like it's the knowledge of it that sits in the back of my head and my heart. But then in those moments where I still get triggered, I have, I feel this choice rise up in me. And before it didn't feel like as much of a choice, it still was, but I I, I didn't know the path. The path was so thick. It was hard to even see the way out. But now it's like, I can see so clearly the way out, but I still have to choose it. And sometimes I don't make that right choice. Sometimes I still want to choose my old path, but it is absolutely possible. So as we seek more understanding What's cool about these pain cycles and drawing them out is you can actually weave together two pain cycles in a marriage. We talked about how I, you know, I get triggered and I feel alone and I go to my place of control and then I control my husband and get really controlling and that triggers his pain response. So say he feels unsafe And when he feels unsafe, he goes to a place where he withdraws. So you can actually have, it's, it's hard to talk about it without getting to show you on paper. So make sure you get into the Facebook group, but you can have it. So it's, you know, I feel of wife, I cope as wife, and then I feel as husband, I cope as husband. And then, you know, each arrow gets drawn to each next bubble. It just cycles right into each other. If you ever feel like you are going in circles with your spouse, this is probably why you guys are caught in your pain cycles. So let me share a quick example so you can have a better understanding of what I'm trying to tell you. So something as simple and innocuous as Wesley, my husband, asking me, hey, what's for dinner? Or what are we doing for dinner? It doesn't even have to be directed at me. But if I am maybe dysregulated, or if I'm just not on my guard, this can immediately trigger me. For me, it triggers me feeling inadequate. I feel like, and this is not from my husband, but I feel like I should be the one to cook dinner. I grew up in a household where my mom cooked an amazing meal every single night. And so even though no one's told me this is how it should be, I just have this guilt of feeling like, oh, maybe maybe I really should be doing that. Maybe I'm not a good enough wife or mother if I don't do this. And so a simple question like, hey, what are we doing for dinner? Can so quickly bring on that feeling of inadequacy. And when I'm feeling inadequate, I can shift so quickly to a place of anger and blame. So instead of going inward and feeling that icky feeling like I'm just not good enough, it's, it's a lot more comfortable to go outward and say, well, you're the problem. Why are you even asking me this? You should be the one figuring this out. Can you guys start to hear how this anger comes out of me? And so I shift so quickly to that. And then me speaking to my husband like that and that anger and that blame triggers him. And he starts feeling maybe unsafe because I'm yelling or not using kind words or putting this big burden on him that makes him feel like he's done something wrong. And so he feels unsafe and that triggers his destructive coping and he goes to withdrawing. When I am angry and he withdraws, ooh, that's a rough one for me. (laughs) Because part of my anger is like I'm 
I'm almost trying to connect. Like I'm trying to evoke a response out of someone because I want that connection. I'm feeling something so bad about myself. I'm feeling like I am not good enough. That's like what's at the core. And so really what I need is that connection. I need him to tell me that, no, you're a great wife. You are good enough. Obviously, my actions are not going to lead him to saying that. But that is what I'm seeking, even though I'm not conscious of that. And so then when he withdraws and actually removes more of himself from me, that connection that I'm needing and that I'm actually seeking is completely gone. And he's, he is really just like, I'm really good at getting angry. He's really good at shutting down and cutting off and just kind of becoming cold. Doesn't always necessarily leave the room, but he just has this way of closing off to me. Anyone that relates to that, you might cope in withdraw. That might be one of the ways you cope. And maybe if you've felt that feeling before of someone you love, maybe they are coping with withdraw, which is actually a perfect moment to talk about how our job is never to point out what someone else might be feeling or doing that actually rarely works out well. And so our job is to look at ourselves only. What am I doing? What am I feeling? Because putting it on someone else is most likely going to just trigger them. And it's, it's just not our job. We are responsible for ourselves. Now, if you're in a really loving relationship and you guys can figure out a way to work through this together and have a way to talk about it in in a non-triggering, safe way, you know, maybe you can work towards something like that. But generally speaking, we're not trying to point out other people's coping or their feelings for that matter, because we don't, we don't actually know what they're feeling. We can guess at it, but we don't know what they're feeling. And I say that because believe me, you're going to experience a moment where you can see so clearly that your husband is in this place of destructive coping. And all you're going to want to do is say, well, you're withdrawing from me. (laughs) But most likely, if you just turn those eyes back around, you are doing something as well. Because if he is dysregulated, most likely you are dysregulated. Now, this can help create empathy. You don't want to be labeling people with their feelings or their coping. But when someone's acting like a jerk towards you, you can now remember, okay, it's not because of me. They are being triggered. Maybe you did do something too, but that is them being in their pain response, especially if it's somewhere out of nowhere. And you're like, where, what did I do? <laughs> like, where did this come from? Maybe it's like uh, your boss popping in out of nowhere and, and yelling or a coworker. And you're like, wait a minute, where in the world did this come from? You know, they are most likely in their pain. And so trying to create, or even on the road, <laughs> someone's honking at you. They are probably having a bad day. They are in pain. They are coping. And so they are in the middle of that. And you don't have to be triggered by that because it actually has nothing to do with you. So in that way, it can be helpful to create empathy for others that are struggling to act kindly, but we don't want to label people. So going back to the example, my husband withdraws. This triggers one of my core feelings, being alone. And so when he withdraws, I feel so alone because you know, he's that connection I'm looking for is gone. It just reinforces this belief that I am alone. And when I am alone, I start to control 
and manipulate and try and get him to connect with me in some way, even though I know it's not going to work doing it this way. My brain just just wants to do that. My my sin nature, you can call it that too, just wants to get that connection, get that safety however I can. And obviously it doesn't work. And so I control and you can just see where this is headed. We continue triggering each other. And if we continue down this path, it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper into confusion and pain and sin and ugliness. Now, looking at your pain cycle, it's really important to make sure you have those core words and those copings correct. It can easily just be a little bit off and doesn't really um, kind of name what you're feeling or what you're doing. And when you have that, it's it's going to be harder to utilize it as a tool. So one, just highly recommend getting some coaching. I would love to help walk you through this and make sure you have those those words that really exemplify what you're feeling and what you're doing. Second, here's a couple questions you can ask yourself just to um, kind of dig deeper and as you go down these questions, go down the path of them, you might discover that one of your words might be a little bit off. So one of the questions is, when you're looking at your feelings, when do you remember first experiencing these feelings? Again, these feelings are going to generally be true across your lifespan. And so if you go back and there's a different feeling coming up, that might be the actual core feeling. So kind of revisiting that past and looking to see when you first felt these, what is that memory that's attached to? It doesn't have to be the very first time you felt it, but when's the first time you remember feeling it? And then for coping, a good question is, where did you learn these coping responses? A lot of these ways that we cope, we learned from our parents. It doesn't mean that it excuses us from doing it. You know, we, again, have free will. But we, it was modeled for us. Oftentimes we learned it because of what we watched. And sometimes we go in the opposite direction. Like if you lived in a very chaotic home and maybe there was addictions happening, a lot of people cope by going the opposite direction and become very controlling or very anxious and um, needing everything to be in, you know, certain order, you know, acting in ways that are controlling because they felt that chaos growing up. And so they, they moved in the opposite direction. So I hope when you have this done on paper, I hope it does not evoke shame or fear or hopelessness. I really think it is an amazing tool so that you can begin to just create some understanding around why you do what you do. Why do other people around you do what they do? How can you understand what is happening, why you get stuck in these same patterns and these same cycles? And it's important to look at this and sit on it and, you know, even look to the past, which I do want to say for a moment, you don't have to go to the past, especially if you have a past that's filled with trauma and you're not ready to go there. These things should be true across your lifetime. And so if you are not ready to go there, it's totally okay just to look at tomorrow and look at yesterday or last month. It does not have to be all the way into your childhood. But I hope you can create this pain cycle and, and map it out for yourself and actually gain hope from it because you have greater understanding. And then next episode, we're going to talk about peace cycles. And these are great, filled with hope. It's going to be the way out for you. 
And I'm excited to share that with you on the next episode. So make sure you're you're digging in, pouring some time into this. Remember, whatever you pour into this is what you're going to get out of it. So if you just want to listen and hear and learn, and that is great. You can start thinking on these things. But if you really want to start changing some of these patterns, you're going to have to pour in a little bit more. So I hope you take some time to do that. And I believe that God is going to guide you in it. All right. Excited to see you for the peace cycles in our next episode. If you've found hope and inspiration in today's episode, then hit subscribe. Make sure you don't miss a moment on this journey of healing. Want to help more mamas enter into the hope and freedom you have found? Please take a moment to leave a review. This helps so much to get Morning Mama seen so that more mamas can find this space. Lastly, please come say hi in our Facebook group, Morning Mama Collective. I would love to meet you and learn your story. Let me know where you're getting stuck in your healing journey so that you can help inspire more episodes. I am so grateful for you, Mama, and I cannot wait to see all that God has in store for you. Mama.